And welcome into the Lord's house this morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, we extend a welcome to you. We are blessed to be gathered together to worship our God in spirit and in truth this morning. We celebrate Lord's Supper this morning. If you're visiting with us and you are, you've been baptized, made public profession of faith, and are members in a good standing in a true church, we would invite you to participate in the supper. We don't take that lightly. We come with the exhortation from Scripture that we are to examine ourselves as we come before the table, not coming presuming upon uh, God's grace, but recognizing that He is gracious to us in the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then as we have testified that He is at work in our lives, as we recognize that, then we come out of response to His invitation uh, to be nourished. And so we do that this morning. We're nourished as well by the preaching of the Word this morning. And so we'll be turning in God's Word as we do each Lord's Day and uh, gathering uh, our hearts and our minds together in prayer. As we come to worship, the Lord calls us to worship with words from Psalm 34. If you would please stand as we show reverence for God's Word. Book of Nehemiah, they stood for an entire day as the Lord read the Word. I don't know if they stood at attention, but they certainly paid attention And so we do that this morning as we hear God speak to us with these words. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack of any good thing. Come, praise the Lord with me. Ascribe to him the glory that is due to his name. Congregation, in whom is your help? He greets you this morning, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 234 this morning as we sing of God's covenant faithfulness. We're going to be seeing that again in Jacob's life. Uh, as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. But this morning, looking before him into to the life of Abraham, the God of Abraham prays. We're going to sing those first four stanzas, stanzas one through four of number 234.
As we do celebrate the sacrament this morning and we want to do so with understanding, we look at that form together. It's in the insert in your bulletin. As we consider what it is to partake and what, why the Lord has instituted his supper, what does it mean? We want to consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. What does this mean? Well, remember him. We remember him by, the, by it. First, let us be fully persuaded. This is how we do that. Let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God. We'll be looking at that tonight in Lord's Day 4, the Heidelberg Catechism. Took that wrath upon himself under which we should have perished eternally. And that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and of the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins and afterward he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent, yet put to death that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment, that he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That is, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness towards you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as this bread is broken before you and this cup is given to you and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He's also obtained for us the life-giving spirit who dwells in Christ our head and enables us, who are his members, 
to have communion with him and be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same Spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love, as the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground. Turn to him in time of prayer. We're going to close with the Lord's Prayer at the end. Oh, Father, we come today to what is familiar, worship according to your word, according to your commands, and we realize that it's easy for us to, to worship without giving much thought, to go through the motions without thinking upon the meaning. That is why it's so important for us to reflect, too, upon the sacrament, which we have participated in so many times before, to remember what is taking place. That you have given your son, that his death, in his death, he bore your wrath against our sin. That by the shedding of his blood, there is forgiveness of sins for the blood of bulls and goats cannot satisfy for sin, but indeed one who is a man without sin, you have declared, can satisfy. And that one being not only man, but God, able to endure your infinite wrath against our sin, even your Son, Jesus Christ. So today, as we worship, we pray that you would awaken our hearts to the privilege that we have to the relationship that we have with you through faith in your Son. As we think about that and turning to your word and seeing how Jacob describes you as his God and as, how, as he describes that to his son and his grandsons and wanting them to know you personally, Lord, we pray that for ourselves, that we would know you personally, deeply, meaningfully, each and every day walking with you. As we gather today to worship, we pray that you would give us expectancy to hear from you, to know that when your word is opened, that it is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce hearts and minds, to convict, to comfort, to lead. We pray that you would lead us today to worship 
May our children see our joy in worship. May we see each other's joy as we discuss the glory of the gospel, the wonder of salvation. You've kept us through another week, Lord. We know the frailty of life. We, we see that all around us. We experience weakness in our own lives, and we pray that you would remind us today of where our strength and hope can be found. Help us to remember what your son went through, knowing weakness, identifying with us, man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering. May we cherish the death of your son, our Savior. Work in our hearts by your spirit that as we partake in the sacrament of Lord's Supper this morning, we might have true confidence that as we look to you, through your son, that we might see your great love for us. You have demonstrated your love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Nourish and refresh our weak hearts as we consider the life that we have in him, that life that is not apart from him, but only in him. Help us to remember that you are a father to us by everlasting covenant as you have promised. We bring our burdens to you, our sins and our sicknesses, our spiritual weaknesses and physical frailties. We pray that you would speak peace to us. Lord, comfort those in the congregation who have been dealing with ongoing weakness and burden. For those who have been diagnosed with cancer and are receiving treatment, for those who have been diagnosed with other health maladies, even young ones that continue to struggle, Lord, grant mercy to them. Grant us your grace that we would walk, though perhaps with a limp as Jacob did, remembering our need of you, that we would walk with confidence, knowing that you go with us. Help us to take up our cross cheerfully, showing that we deny ourselves, that we trust in you for every good thing, that in all tribulation we would look up as we wait expectantly for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ from heaven and hold on to that promise that he will make our bodies as his glorified body and receive us to everlasting life. Lord, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for teaching us how to pray, that we can come to you with our praise, with our confession, with our thanksgiving and our supplication to remember our relationship to you. Using the words of, those, of that prayer that you taught us to pray, we say together, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals once again as we sing together number 517. Number 517, I know whom I have believed. Again, connected to this passage, we look at God's faithfulness. We know not why God's wondrous grace to us he has made known. 
But we know this, that he will keep us and that commitment which he has made to us unto that day. So let's stand to sing the five stanzas, number 517. turn together this morning in God's Word to Genesis 48. I 
The opening words of chapter 48 indicate to us that this is a transition from Jacob to Joseph. In this particular situation, these words are used throughout Genesis to mark transition. And they do so here. As Jacob nears his death, he wants the next generation to hear about God's goodness in the past and to remind them of his promise for the future as they go forward. What is just taking place? It says after these things. What, what is it that's just taken place? Well, Jacob has asked Joseph to make a pledge to covenant to bring up his bones out of Egypt to the land promised to him and to his family, and Joseph has done so. And then we turn our attention then to Jacob's words to Joseph and his sons. Hear then the word of God, Genesis 48, starting verse 1. After these things, or after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. And then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came to Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. And Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long and to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become people, and he also shall be great. 
Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. He blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. So far, the reading of God's own holy word made as blessing to the reading and proclamation of it this morning. Congregation, we sometimes will skip over passages like this. We think, well, we've heard Jacob's testimony. We've heard these words. We know what he said. is all about, and yet this passage is instructive for us, important for us to read as we think about how to pass on the faith to the next generation. Now, there is a misapplication of the passage. We could say, well, okay, so what we're learning from this passage is that we can wait until our deathbed, and then we can share our faith as long as we do it before we die. That's not the application of the passage. The application of the passage for us is that we are to be those who are sharing the faith with the next generation now, not, until, not waiting until the last day. Jacob has not seen these grandsons, at least not to our recollection in a, in a context like this where he may speak to them uh, personally and and warmly. And so here, he takes this opportunity to speak with them and to proclaim blessing. As we've noted, Jacob has relationship with the Lord and his understanding of how God worked in his life has grown. I want to consider how that has Uh, how we see that in Jacob as we look this morning firstly at how Jacob looks back at God's faithfulness. First, he teaches that blessing, blessing is from the Lord and not won by human effort. Remember his words, remember God's words to Jacob back in chapter 35, verse 11. He says, be fruitful and multiply. This, This imperative, this command, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. God brought him through much hardship and promised him that he was going to be given what he had promised to give him. But it was after this and through God's grace that he came through these hardships. And as Jacob looks back, he now hears these words differently. The word is, be fruitful and multiply. God says, uh, uh, be obedient, uh, uh, obey, and you will know blessing. And, and yet, as we, we look at our lives, as we look back upon our lives, where are those moments when we uh, can most see and understand how things work? It's when we are weakest. We recognize God's strength and of how much we need Him. As Jacob looks at these words. He hears them this way. Look to me and you shall be fruitful. Look to me. Stop looking to yourself. Stop looking to your ways. We remember how Jacob had tried to do that in all of his deceptions with his blind father and with his uncle Laban and in other ways. And the Lord says to him, no, stop trying to make your own way by your own means. I will bless you. Children, parents are called to teach you to the way you are to go, and it's not natural for you, it's not natural for us to say, well, we want to listen. We like to think we know better. We have a better way. It's only later on by God's grace that we recognize, you know, they were right. We should listen. 
we should trust them. Jacob had tried to seize blessing, as I've said, by deception, by his own means. But God had changed his perspective. Listen to his words here in chapter 48 as he speaks. He's speaking to his son and his grandsons, and he says this, God Almighty appeared to me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. I will make you a company of peoples. I will give you this land. Jacob had understood something. Had God changed positions, whereas before he said, you be fruitful and multiply, Jacob was in the lead, but then he failed, and God said, well, I guess I better come in and, and fix this mess. No, Jacob needed to understand, and he had understood, as we see in his words here, that he would only be fruitful and multiply as he submitted to God. Jacob was speaking of God's faithfulness to him here. I will make you fruitful and multiply. He's telling his son and his grandsons, listen, God is the one who's going to make you fruitful. God is the one who's going to multiply you. God is the one who's going to give you blessing. Don't go your own way. Through a lifetime, God changes our hearts to see that he is faithful, that he is to be trusted that we need to listen to him, and we need to listen to the testimony of those who can say over many years (coughs) that as they look back, the Lord has been faithful, and as they look forward and say, God is good now, and God will be good in the future, he is trustworthy. Jacob looks back, and he has his son and his grandsons look back. Secondly, we we see that as we look back, we can recognize God's promises And as we do, our hearts are set on pilgrimage. I've said that a a number of times in this series through Genesis because really (coughs) that's what we're seeing in the opening uh, book of the Bible. We're seeing that God is the one who's bringing us through. He's bringing us from a garden to a city. If you look from Genesis to Revelation, you see what God is doing. And the psalmist says that as well. He says, set our hearts on pilgrimage, or my heart is set on pilgrimage. I'm looking ahead for something more. Jacob calls his son Joseph and his grandsons Ephraim and Manasseh out of Egypt, and he says, your blessing is not in those palaces. Your blessing is not in that position or that authority. Your blessing is following me and remembering the promise that I have for you, that the land that I have for you is to come, and it's far distant from here. And it can only be achieved as you look to me. Think of that. There's temptation there. There, There's real possibility that Joseph and his sons would would become firmly rooted there in the palace and think, well, why would I want to go uh, uh, with God's people? Moses had to make that decision, didn't he? And the book of Hebrews says he did not consider that that place in in Egypt to be uh, uh, his position, but rather he chose to be with God's people wandering, but with a clear destination in mind, a wilderness pilgrimage. Think of the saints of old. What are they doing? They're building tents. They're not saying, well, I'm going to keep building a bigger house and a bigger house and a bigger house and something more substantial and more substantial because really right here, this is where it is. This is where my investment is. They served God and others while keeping their focus on God and His promise so that they might serve others in a meaningful way, pointing to God. Well, next we see Jacob's word 
In the present, he adopts Joseph's sons into the covenant. He prays that God would be with them. Indeed, God had to be with them for them to be blessed. Without God, they would have no blessing. And children, in this, we see something of a picture of baptism. When your parents brought you to be baptized, they did so in obedience to God's promise to be a God to them and to you. And as they were or are to talk to you about your baptism, remind you of the blessings and obligations that come from being a child of God, they also tell you this is a great blessing. You are to be sons of the Most High, daughters of the Most High, children of the Lord. Jacob says, Joseph, bring your sons near. Let them hear. Let them listen. Jacob tells the story of the family. The boys would not have known Abraham and Isaac, but he reminds them, verses 15 and 16, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. This God, not some new God, not some Egyptian God, not one among many, the only true God, my God, the one who's been my shepherd, the one who has redeemed me, that one. Bless these boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. God, the only God, was faithful to Jacob, and he was a personal God, my shepherd, Jacob could say, and my redeemer. These are points that we need to make to our children. These are reminders that we have to give to one another. The riches and the wealth of this world are not where our focus is. Our hope is not in the praise and accolades of this world. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and in that blessing to come. And these words, we have an invocation. We have that at the outset of our worship service, right? We say the invocation, salutation. Well, what are we, what's an invocation? It's, it's asking God to come near, to witness our worship service. We're asking Him to be present, to witness to our worship and to work in us through this worship. Without that, there's no blessing. Then we're just simply going through motions. So we think that's important, that's, that matters, that we say, Lord, come near. In this blessing, Jacob's calling upon God to be present in the lives of these children. Lord, be our God and the God of our children, shepherd us, sanctify us, deliver us. Parents and grandparents, people of God, these are wonderful words. These are words that we need to share, and these are words that our children need to hear us pray. Jacob speaks of the one true God as his personal Savior. That's the testimony that we hope and pray we hear from the lips of our children and grandchildren And we need to show them what it looks like to walk with the Lord personally, deeply. And so we pray that for ourselves. These words are so wonderful. We ought not to be surprised that God records them in Holy Scripture. These are important words. These are not just throwaway words. These are not just repetitious words. These These are key words from generation to generation to generation. As we'll hear in Psalm 71 tonight in our psalm selection. They remind us of how important it is to testify to God, living and dying well, 
includes testifying clearly to God and living for Him every day. Now, I thought about this for a while. I don't normally do this. I'm going to share words of a country song. I don't do that because I don't want you to start singing it. I don't do this because I want you to think it's a favorite of mine. I want us to think about this song, and I want us to, the reason I'm using this is because Monday through Saturday, we're not here listening to God's Word. We're listening to these songs, and we're, we need to be examining these songs. There's a word, there's a song called, Live Like You Were Dying. Now you're all thinking, oh yeah, I remember that. Some of you are thinking, some of the, that seems like still a recent song. It's an older song. But there's some truth in this song in that we're, we're, we're to live as, as though we know we're going to die, and so we need to pass on the truth. However, that's not the advice given in the song. The song is to say, live like you were dying. That means live carefree. Do all the things that you want on your bucket list, right? You just l- read some of the lyrics. Someone asks the person who gets the diagnosis of terminal illness, what did you do when you heard the news? He responds, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I watched an eagle as it was flying. Someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Second verse, he mentions, finally, I finally read the good book. I took a long, hard look. And then he goes on to say, I went skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, and on and on again. As one critic observed, if skydiving is what you're talking about on your deathbed, you've likely, no, you have completely missed the purpose of living. That's not to be your motto, is to say, well, I've lived it up, I've, I've done everything I could, and, I, and I've, I'm adding more to my list every day. I'm looking death in the face, and I'm saying, I'm going to live as though it won't matter that I die because I'm going to have gained it all right now. Be careful with that motto, because that is the motto, that is the mantra of so many around us. But when we live well and die well, Or when we are going to live well and die well, it's because we put our hope in the Lord. And we've passed on the good news. We've shared the joy of living for the Lord. We've shared the blessing of living in His will. And we've been praying that God would work faith in our children even as we set that in front of them, what it looks like. What a blessing that Joseph was restored to the family. His father thought, I'll never see him again. He sees the goodness of God. He says, I never expected to see your face, verse 11. And behold, God has let me see not only you, but your offspring as well. And what does he do as he talks with them? He shares with them God's faithfulness and goodness. His sons are adopted into the family. He says, these sons born to you in Egypt are mine. And that great theme of adoption is before us in the Lord's Supper today. Before us. Because who are we? We are the adopted sons and daughters of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. God's wrath against our sin is removed through the death of his son. His son. 
as we're going to see tonight. We don't deserve a place at his table. We don't deserve that personal relationship, but he's graciously opened the way by offering his son in our place that we might come near to have an intimate meal, not to dine and dash, but to come to meditate and to reflect upon the blessing that God gives in Jesus Christ. We see in Jacob's actions God's grace as he extends the blessing to Ephraim over Manasseh or before Manasseh, we might say. Manasseh is blessed also, but he puts his hand on the younger boy's head and gives blessing while putting his left hand on Manasseh's head. And Joseph is troubled by that. He says, no, no, Father, that's not what you meant to do. You're doing this all wrong. Manasseh's the firstborn, this one, and, and Ephraim's the, the, the younger. Now, this has happened four consecutive generations, right? This younger over older. Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, Joseph over Reuben now, and now Ephraim over Manasseh. Joseph thinks, you're not seeing clearly, Father. But Jacob saw clearly enough. He knew what he was doing, and he, it seems, understands that election is not based upon what our expectations are, what our traditions are, but upon God's grace and mercy. He had sought it by his own conniving, but what he saw was God graciously chose him, not because he was better than Esau, not because he was better than uh, any of his uh, other family But God was giving that promise to Jacob, which he sought by deception, and God gave it to him graciously. And now he, to his grandsons and to his son Joseph, he's showing them this is how God works. He works graciously, not according to our paradigms, not according to our expectations. We know through the Scripture that God declares that his promise will be to us and to our children We don't baptize out of presumed regeneration, but out of obedience to God to give the sign and seal of the covenant to our children and raise them in the covenant with an awareness of God's grace and of the obligation to live in that covenant, to respond to his grace, to his love. We teach the importance of worship. We teach God's commands. We teach the call to obey, and we show that grace develops disciplines within us. It doesn't mean that we then just live however we want. There are certain means by which God teaches and instructs. The preached word, the sacraments, seemingly weak in the eyes of the world, and yet, because of God's declaration, powerful. Faith comes from hearing. He gives us the sacrament of baptism and Lord's Supper to strengthen our faith, to remind us of what he's doing. And studies have shown just how important it is, the role that parents play in the lives of their children. Studies have shown how important, the importance of bringing children to worship. God graciously works through this. He normally works through godly homes, godly parents, and godly churches. 
There's application to be made here as we talk about God's grace to Jacob, to Joseph, and to his children, and to his children's children, and on and on through the generations. It matters, fathers. It matters, mothers, what you do before your children, and what disciplines you teach them, and what things you prioritize. Statistics of how many drift away from church when they grow up in a family that's weak in church attendance are not encouraging. There is a warning. Statistics of how many stop going to church because they saw no joy in their parents' faith or they did not hear from their parents about personal relationship with God are not encouraging. They're warning. Here this morning we see Jacob saying to his son and grandsons, the God who is, who was, and who is to come bless you. Do not turn away from him. Do not look to the land of Egypt for your blessing. Walk with him. Now, the application is not only make sure you talk to your kids about God, make sure you go to to church and go through the motions. Yes and amen to both of those. Talk to your children about God. Go to church. But there, there also needs to be accompanying questions. Well, now, how do I go to church? Do I go grumbling? Do I go joyfully? Do I go anticipating? Do I go preparing my children to, to hear God speak? Do I, do I listen carefully for application personally? Is my relationship with the Lord known to my children? How so? Do I talk to them about what I'm learning, what I'm praying about for them and for the family? Jacob looked back and saw what God had done. He spoke of what God had done. And he had confidence that the future was was secure for God. Was his God. He had a deep relationship with the Lord, and he wanted his offspring to have that same relationship. And so he says, don't worship the gods of Egypt. Come down to God's people and worship here, and worship as you go forth. When you return, he's confident of this. He says, behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. How does he know this? Because God has promised that he's going to do this. And this morning we participate in the means of grace. This morning we seek to build relationship with the Lord as we hear from Him, as we respond to Him. The Word is preached. Sacrament of the Lord's Supper is administered. God says to believers, come and I will fellowship with you. I want relationship with you. Don't neglect the means of grace. I want to nourish you. I want to nourish your faith as you taste and see all that I've done to save you. And when our children ask, what does this mean? We say, oh, that's a good question. Speaks of God and how he makes relationship with lost sinners, how he restores sinners to himself, though he is righteous and we are unrighteous through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the offered body, a crucified body of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness of sins and there is reconciliation for all those who believe in him. He has led us from bondage to sin to newness 
and freedom, freedom and newness of life, to live apart from sin. And he's building his church even now to prepare her for the beautiful reward to come to that pilgrimage that we're making to that city, that holy city, which the book of Revelation talks about. When we talk about, when we live for those things, brothers and sisters, that is a, that is a life well lived. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think of Jacob's words and the actions he took, how Joseph received them and how his, his sons listened, we see how their faith was carried on by your hand. They were not perfect, but by your hand. And we pray that you're working in us and through our children and grandchildren we would see the church continue on as that body dependent upon you, needing to be nourished through the preached word, through the sacraments. Lord, nourish us today. Strengthen us today. Increase our joy. May we be able to speak about, may we often speak about or may we for the first time speak about our relationship with you, with our children, that they might not think this is some mystical, private, secret experience, but that it is possession of the covenant community to be shared, to be rejoiced in. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 351 as we sing how deep the Father's love for us. We recognize that in the sacrament and we recognize that in the scriptures all throughout. We're going to stand to sing the three stanzas, number 351, how deep the Father's love for us.
standing, please remain standing. As we come to the supper, we also want to confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. We recognize that it is not our doing, but it is, it is what he has done that gives us our hope and our confidence that our sins have been paid for. So we say together using those words, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. That we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift our hearts to heaven where our advocate Jesus Christ is, the right hand of the heavenly Father, where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of Christ.
Beloved, take, eat, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is a communion of the blood of Christ.
I was thinking of John 13 this week as they're preparing for the Passover. Jesus puts a towel around his waist and washes the disciples' feet, and Peter objects and says, what are you doing? How is it that you would wash my feet? And Jesus says, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. God sent his son to shed his blood that we might be washed of our sins so that we might come near to him. If he had not done this, we would be lost. Beloved, take, drink, remember, and believe the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord promises to nourish us at his table, and as he has done so, let us praise his holy name with thanksgiving. As we say in our hearts, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, and redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. What a friend we have in our Lord Jesus. We want to sing that now, number 456. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Let's stand and sing the stanzas there, number 456.
Our Father, which art in heaven, we come before you now and ask your blessing on this collection for benevolence. We pray that you'd open our hearts to be generous the same way you've been generous to us. And we pray that you guide the deacons as this fund is used. We ask that you provide for those that are needy what they need. And all this we pray in your name alone. Amen. stand to receive God's parting blessing. Hear these words the Lord gives as you leave to serve. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.